This is the Oanda Podcast. Brought to you by Jazz FM's Business Breakfast. This is the Oanda Market Insights Podcast with me, Johnny Hart. Coming up, we look back on the week's business and market news and look ahead to the next seven days with Oanda Senior Market Analyst Craig Earlham. And we're joined this week by Oanda Senior Market Analyst for Asia-Pacific, Jeffrey Halley, who is in Jakarta. Good morning, fellows. Good, Good morning. morning. Great to be here. I was a bit formal there calling you Jeffrey, but let's stick to Jeff, shall we? I get called many things, so Jeff or Jeffrey is fine. <laughs> so, guys, initially European shares opened down after Asian and US markets fell overnight because of concerns about uh, record-breaking new COVID-19 cases in several American states. But they have recovered somewhat over the last couple of hours. Uh, is that how it stands at the moment, Jeff? Yeah, I mean, we've had a, a fairly sideways week when you look at the, all the dust settling across the week, uh, across uh, most markets, with the exception of China. China actually fell 2% today when some government-listed entities actually sold equities uh, to calm, uh, calm what had been a 10% rally in Shanghai and Shenzhen this week. But uh, really, uh, we've, we've just eased into the end of the week. Uh, Asia was uh, mostly slightly down. Uh, and and uh, all in all, it's been a, a bit of a ranging week. Yeah, and over here on this side of the world, most comment has been dominated by analysis of the Chancellor's summer statement. And that does actually continue, Craig. Yeah, it does. I mean, there was a, there was a lot of uh, incentives in there. There was a huge effort to plug parts of the economy which have really suffered as a result of the uh, shutdown uh, and the lockdown sorry the uh, the hospitality industry was one that was quite a clear primary focus for the chancellor uh, incentivizing we through VAT reductions um, even going as far as to contribute to people's eating out experience by contributing up to 10 pounds towards each person's meal on a Monday through Wednesday to really try and get people through the doors uh, and encourage them uh, to leave their houses now uh, and support this hospitality industry so that the government doesn't need to in the long term and that we don't see wide-scale shutdowns and high unemployment. It's easy to forget that the hospitality industry is a massive employer in the UK as well as a massive and important part of the economy. So these short-term stimulus efforts are going to be necessary in order to try and keep many of these businesses uh, alive. There was also support for the housing sector as well, uh, the suspension of uh, stamp duty uh, up to, with properties up to half a million pounds until I think it's the end of January. <clears throat> so uh, there's a lot of, uh, there was a lot in this package to try and get people to continue to employ people to support businesses and to support the housing market and try and see us through this period. But I think the widespread agreement is that more is going to be needed. This is kind of, as it stands, this is a summer statement. This isn't even the main budget. You would imagine within the main budget, there's going to be further support measures, which means a much larger um, COVID bill, which means massive deficits. And at some point further down the road, there's going to have to be a reckoning where we try to, uh, where we try to manage the, the, the public finances. And no tax rises from the Rishi Sunak at this stage, but experts, including the Institute of Physical Studies, are warning that uh, taxpayers certainly face a day of reckoning when the government's massive uh, support measures are to be paid off. I mean, looking at the numbers, the IFS has predicted government borrowing would surge to about £350 billion this year. I mean, it's an eye-watering amount of money. 
It is, and I think the last I saw that they said it was around fourteen percent of GDP, which is huge for obviously a one-year spike in uh, in government borrowing. But I think we also have to remember that you can't just compare that to the situation we had before. We don't live in a pre-COVID world anymore. The you have to compare it to what the impact on the public finances would have been if these support measures weren't put in place and the economy was just allowed to struggle and we were now edging towards a depression, if not an extremely severe recession. What would the impact on public finances be there with permanent unemployment and a high benefits bill? Uh, that, that that's what we really have to weigh this up against. This is just an, a, a situation that no one wanted, uh, but every country is having to deal with in their own way. And many countries are doing many of the same things, which suggests that there is a lot of agreement amongst them that these support measures are absolutely necessary. And we almost have to ignore the fiscal side of it uh, in the meantime, and we have to deal with that later. Unfortunately for the Conservatives, they have committed to not raising taxes. So how they would make up for this lost revenue in the medium term is going to be difficult. They'll either have to put it off to a later parliament, uh, hold another election and make fresh promises, or they're going to have to find creative ways in which to raise this revenue because you can't just rely on economic growth alone. We're not, uh, and I think this is where me and Jeff are very much in agreement, we are not seeing a V-shaped recovery no matter how much people want to believe that that is possible. So even when we do see an economic recovery of some kind and we do see unemployment coming down, we're not going to see the levels of economic growth which in themselves are going to make up for the lost ground that we've seen in public finances. So at some point, they're going to have to be tax rises somewhere. Jeff? Yeah, for myself, I think what the world's really going to need after COVID-19 is a good old bout of inflation. Uh, we're very fortunate at the moment that interest rates are pretty much 0% around the world. So governments can effectively borrow unlimited amounts of money at 0% at the moment. Uh, what we'll need to probably see is, uh, what, is a situation after World War II where the government basically told the Federal Reserve to go out and create as much inflation as they could to deflate all of that war debt. Uh, a fairly uh, um, uh, taking a sledgehammer to a walnut sort of approach. But uh, yeah, we, we, that, that's probably, a, as, as I see it now, the only way out for most of the uh, economy around the world. We're going to have to see inflation finally return after a 20-year vacation and uh, start deflating uh, that debt. But definitely it will be with us for a very, very long time. I don't mind inflation so much, but no... Uh major interest rate rises please uh, gentlemen because i've got my tracker mortgage to worry about of course of course well you can always we're, fix we're it before that happens <laughs> yeah we're trying to sympathize um i mentioned earlier on that uh, markets last night and yesterday were worried about the new coronavirus cases in uh, and record-breaking numbers across uh, some american states but uh, um, jeff we were talking off air about the latest progress on all the covid19 vaccine and there are three uh, major programs at the moment showing some promise yes uh, astrazeneca which is uh, allied with uh, oxford university uh, pfizer and moduna are all moving uh, now to their phase three uh, testing trials for uh, their covid 19 vaccines this is a uh, this is a large scale uh, trial a phase three one and uh, the the outlook looks pretty promising for all three vaccines at the moment. Uh, and so I, I, it would not surprise me in the least if we actually did get some sort of COVID-19 vaccine to the market in Q4 this year, which would be a very welcome piece uh, of good news. The ugly side of it will be then uh, being human uh, nature is who gets it first and, and where and what. Do you think Jeff is being a bit optimistic there about Q4, Craig? 
I mean, it's extremely difficult to say. I, I think there's a lot of vaccines uh, available at this point in time, and the fact that some of them are not necessarily using uh, new um, technology or new vaccines is obviously going to be helpful in getting these to market. And there's a lot of companies now, and as, uh, as Jeff's already alluded to, which are talking very highly about the prospects of some of the some of the some of the projects that they're working on, um, AstraZeneca and Oxford University being one that really springs to mind. So I don't think it's overly optimistic. It's but it's not just about getting um, large numbers to market it's about getting enormous numbers uh, to market and getting into the places that we need them that's the type of thing that even if we did get to market in q4 to have a real impact you are probably still looking at early on next year but like i say i'm i'd rather be optimistic because i think this is a situation where we all want uh, a vaccine on the market widely available as soon as possible yeah, it would certainly be a game changer. Jeff, uh, because you're on this week, we ought to focus a bit more than we do normally on Hong Kong and uh, the repercussions of the security laws uh, from China. Of course, this was very much on the back burner, this story, uh, during the major part of COVID-19. It almost went to sleep, but it is certainly back and it's worrying markets. Yes, definitely. I mean, when you look at Hong Kong uh, shares this week, the Hang Seng was actually up 4.5% at one stage this week. It's going to still finish up uh, about 2% for this week, uh, basically because it's coattailed the 10% rises in Shanghai and Shenzhen on the mainland. Uh, money talks in Hong Kong, and uh, there's a lot of money to talk in Hong Kong. Uh, if anything, the security law has been... Uh, rather ghoulishly good for business because no protests, no disruption to transport means that business can continue uh, blissfully uninterrupted. And that's been the case for precisely one week. But we're now starting to run into some conflicts here because the security law has been very vaguely and opaquely worded. The US has announced uh, some limited sanctions overnight and they probably have more to come. The conflict for international companies and banks in particular in Hong Kong is that by under that new security law, they're not allowed to subvert China by following any international sanctions. Yet, if the US puts sanctions on and they don't follow them, they're going to get in trouble with the US. So they're now caught between uh, a rock and a hard place in this respect. And I think this is going to be an issue that will become more and more to the forefront uh, in Hong Kong over the next few weeks. In fact, geopolitics seems to be uh, rapidly... Uh, rapidly eroding uh, between Hong Kong, I mean, between China and the US, as if it couldn't get any worse. I, I suspect we are going to see things get worse on that front uh, as this month progresses. And I see as a side story, Jeff, the very popular app TikTok has halted operations in Hong Kong, according to a notice posted on its uh, website. The company flagged the move uh, earlier this week and uh, that that does raise concerns of um, you know social media restrictions yeah with Hong, with TikTok, tiktok in particular uh, they don't really have any filters on tiktok which is why you don't see any big international companies uh, really advertising heavily on tiktok so they're not really placing uh, heavily the content so technically if someone in hong kong put up something anti-government on it uh, then TikTok itself could get in trouble. And this is mainly the reason why they've decided to close their Hong Kong market, which is not a huge one for them anyway. But they do also have a real credibility issue being Chinese-owned. Where is that data going? Where is it being stored? And I think uh, there's also a very good chance that they'll be banned in the US and they've already been banned in India. So I think they're trying to be proactive, but they've definitely got some questions to answer as to where... Uh, consumers' data is being stored. And so I think there's going to be more issues for TikTok uh, in the days ahead. 
Craig, we can't have a No Ander Market Insights podcast without, of course, mentioning uh, Brexit. Interesting story to emerge in the last few hours. It's uh, apparently Brussels is going to allow firms on the continent to continue using London's clearing services after the Brexit transition ends. I think that's a, a bit of a victory for the city, is it not? Yeah, I guess it is a small victory for the city, but I guess you have to ask the question why. I mean, we've got to remember the reason why the City of London is what it is is because it has all the infrastructure and expertise here in which to do that to do its job. So the, the, that's long been the argument, uh, one of the arguments of this kind of Brexit deal that it, that somehow includes services, etc., is the fact that Europe needs London as much as almost London needs Europe uh, to an extent because it just doesn't have the infrastructure yet. That doesn't mean that over the coming years and decades that Europe won't try to create its own London um, so that it has to be less reliant on the UK. But for now, I think we are going to see um, in, in whatever post-Brexit deal that materialises, I think London is going to largely retain the function that it currently does now and hopefully we'll get an amicable deal. But like I say, it's... We we talk about this on a, such a regular basis, and it is just one of those rides that I think we all became bored with quite a long time ago. And oh, these geez. stories do appear, and we continue to see this kind of brinkmanship from both sides. But ultimately, we all know where this is going. This is going late in the day. There'll be a final deal. It won't be perfect. It won't be comprehensive. And then it will move on to the next round of negotiations to turn it into something more comprehensive, which will go beyond the end of the year when we've officially left the EU. There may be surprises. We've been surprised before, but yeah, I think um, as you just heard from Jeff, it's not just uh, it's not just over here that we're all bored of Brexit. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I could hear that affirmation from Jeff about how bored he was a bit. I mean, and Jeff, imagine how we feel. Oh, well, I was actually going to say I used to get so fed up having to write about Brexit nearly every single day, but frankly, in 2020. I'd rather not be talking about COVID-19. I would love to be talking about Brexit right now. Yep. Uh, so say all of us. Uh, one more um, Brexit story, Craig. Uh, the British Retail Consortium, which is an important body, they they have warned that, that we will face tariff costs of 20% on average unless a deal can be reached with the EU by the end of October. Do you, do you think they're going a bit too far there? No, I mean, we, we've got to remember that this is... We're talking about a no-deal Brexit, so we're talking about WTO rules. So <clears throat> they are talking, effectively, worst-case scenario, this is what we're facing. And unfortunately, it's very much in their interest to make this public knowledge because the retail sector is really struggling right now. We were talking a year ago. The retail sector was really struggling then. Add to that the COVID uh, lockdown, and it's incredibly difficult now if you are a retailer. If you throw in no-deal Brexit onto that, then it, it could be re it could be quite devastating for many businesses. So I think it's right that they have to be pointing this type of thing out. And no matter we remember, we get this from both sides as well. We hear from the BRC one day saying this, then we hear from the politicians the next day saying that we'd be perfectly fine with a no-deal Brexit. That terms similar to Australia would be absolutely no problem for the UK. The reality is that we're going to land with somewhere in the middle and that the reality of the situation is going to land somewhere in the middle as well. But you, this is, the, again, this is the world we live in. We get these both we get both of these start warnings. This started in 2014 when we started getting the most pessimistic forecast for what Brexit could mean. Uh, and it's just evolved since then. So both sides are effectively playing the same game. But And again, this is a negotiation. We have to remember that. I promise you, Jeff, that's all we're going to say about Brexit today. That's it. Well... I've actually always thought that actually if any country in Europe uh, was well equipped to go it alone, it's uh, Great Britain. So uh, although there's been okay. a lot of doom and gloom spoken about it, 
I do believe that uh, UK, um, this is an opportunity uh, and ad- adverseness for the uh, for the UK to get its mojo back. So uh, I'm not quite as negative as everybody else, although I am not keen on US chlorinated chickens. <laughs> uh, guys, let's look ahead to next week. Now, there is one apparently very, very big event happening next week in the Craig Earlham household. More on that in a minute or two. But, um, Jeff, what are you looking forward to over the next seven days? I think geopolitics is going to play a, a, a lot, uh, a, a big part about where the markets move. I think there's a lot of risk here now that uh, we could see a serious deterioration between China and the US. And being caught between those two countries is something that the rest of us and the rest of the world just have to learn to live with. Uh, Data-wise, it's actually a fairly quiet week next week. We have uh, China GDP, which uh, will probably set the tone in the second half of the week uh, for Asian markets and and US retail sales. Uh, In the absence of a heavy data week, though, it's definitely going to be geopolitics and the uh, trajectory of COVID-19 across the Sunbelt states in, in America. Craig? Jeff's covered everything quite well there. There are a number of central bank meetings as well, which we should probably keep a close eye on, though I think many of them have made the big moves that they are going to make. There may be some small tweaks still to come, but there are a number of central bank meetings. We've got earnings season in the US, which is kicking off next week with the major banks, and that's just going to really highlight the devastation that came in Q2. But I think if, if the data from the last three months has taught us anything, it's that people don't care about what's happened. People know what's happened. People care about what's coming next. So no matter how bad this earnings season's going to be, I wouldn't be surprised if, if investors find reason for optimism within the small print, whether that comes from the more promising outlooks or just because they've set the bar so low that it's quite easy to crawl above it. I think that's going to be a really interesting thing to really follow over the course of the next three, four, five weeks. But as Jeff's already alluded to, the pandemic is still number one. The geopolitics is still very high up there. And then from a personal standpoint, I'm just looking forward to seven days roughly of sleep while I still can, because after that, it's all downhill. (laughs) Yeah, just in case anybody's wondering what we're talking about, of course, you are going to become, hopefully, uh, all going well, a dad this time next week for the second time. How do you feel? I am indeed. I I feel tired at the thought of it, but uh, I'm looking forward (laughs) to it. It should be a lot of fun. Is it going to be two children under the age of two? It is t- just about two children yeah. under the age of two, which I hear is really, really easy. You're a brave so. man. <laughs> He's a brave man, isn't he, Jeff? He's a very, very brave man. I hope he uses all his ten-pound vouchers uh, this week and goes <laughs> and goes to the pub as much as he can. I don't know if you can get two pints for ten quid in London anymore, but um, we will never know. Not the sort of places that Craig goes to, of course. I uh, get three in the places I yeah. go to. Yeah. <laughs> Gentlemen, it's a pleasure speaking to you once again. Have a very good week. Cheers. And to you. Thank you. From the team behind Jazz FM's Business Breakfast, a daily early morning 30-minute briefing for the day ahead. On air from 6am. Listen to Jazz FM on DAB, online or just ask Alexa.